0: You have your Bible here this morning. We'll be turning to 2 Kings, the book of 2 Kings. That's in your Old Testament. It's right after 1 Kings, <laughs> but you knew that already, didn't you? 2 Kings chapter 2. The title of our message today is Creating Spiritual Legacy. Now, I've run track before, and I can tell you there's no sound that a relay runner ever wants to hear. It's a sound that is soft and unassuming at first. It might not even be noticed by the spectators in the stands. Oh, but if you're on the track and you're running the race and you hear this sound, it reverberates powerfully. You see, for the sprinter, it's the pinging sound of that baton bouncing against the asphalt that is enough to dash His or her dreams of winning the gold. We've seen this happen many times before. Go back with me to 2004 at the Athens Summer Olympics. That year, both the women's and the men's relay teams were heavily favored to win in their respective events. When the gun sounded, the men in the 4 by 100 meter relay looked as if they were going to dominate and they were going to bring home An easy gold. But at the third handoff, a shoddy baton passing allowed the British team to inch ahead and secure an upset on the world stage. And then the women, likewise, they were disqualified in the 4x100 meter relay because of a bad handoff. As you can see there in that picture, the baton falling there to the ground as a handoff happened between Marion Jones and Lauren Williams. Well, fast forward four years. It was time for redemption. We were at the Beijing Games that year. And both the men and the women wanted to resurrect dreams of Olympic gold. But again, we see that both of them were forecasted and expected to dominate in their competition. But during the men's 4x100 relay, Tyson Gay fumbled the handoff to teammate Darvis Patton and their hopes for gold were ended. Meanwhile, during the women's heat, Tory Edwards tried to hand the baton to Lauren Williams, and it squirted out like a slippery fish. And so in a nightmarish repeat, both teams failed to complete a good handoff, and the day was lost. Now, I've said before that the Christian faith is just one generation away from extinction. And the reason is because the Christian life is like a relay race in which one generation must pass off the baton of faith to another. And just like on the rac- racetrack, runners are in a spiritual race and they have little room for error when it comes to the handoff. You may have heard me say before, the youth are not 100% of the population, but they are 100% of the future and if we are going to see a legacy passed on, then we must take the work of God and faithfully hand it off to another generation. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 2, we have one of those critical handoff moments, if you will. Just as Moses passed on his leadership to Joshua, and just as Jesus conferred the preaching of the gospels to the apostles. Here we see Elijah handing off the reins of the prophetic ministry to his pupil, his successor, a man whom we met last week, Elisha. Now at the heart of biblical ministry is discipleship. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. So that's what we're to do as Christians. We're to raise up another generation. We're to pass off the baton by creating spiritual legacy. And so discipleship and spiritual legacy go hand in hand. Now we're going to study here this miraculous transition that happens between Elijah and Elisha. And we're going to notice how the dynamics of spiritual legacy and discipleship come together. And I want to point out for you this morning in our time together three principles today about how to create or how to leave A spiritual legacy. The first principle that I want you to notice here today is, number one, a spiritual legacy is created by investing in the people of God. Investing in the people of God. Now, what we're going to read here is Elijah and Elisha's last day together. And on this last day, they do a lot of walking. In fact, they start in Samaria up in the north and they go to Gilgal and from Gilgal they go to Bethel and from Bethel they go down to Jericho and from Jericho they cross over to the Jordan River. So this is really Elijah's farewell tour and it takes him back to the ravines and the hillsides of his boyhood. God's mountain man is returning to the mountains from whence he came. So we'll begin reading here in Verse 1, 2 Kings chapter number 2. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elisha said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you live yourself, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you live yourself, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho and the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha And they said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Now if you do a study of the journey that Elijah and Elisha embarked on that day, scholars estimate that they walked about 55 miles from Gilgal and then down to Bethel and from Bethel to Jericho and from Jericho eventually to the Jordan River. Now, each one of the places that they visited are significant. In fact, if you know your Old Testament, you'll recognize a lot of the names uh, that are mentioned here. Each one is significant to Israel's spiritual history. And I believe that as Elijah and Elijah walked on this final journey, Elijah was teaching his pupil the final take-home lesson. Because as they went to these locations, it's very possible that Elijah passed on to his protege some great lessons. You see, when they went to Gilgal, he could have reminded him that Gilgal was the place where Israel camped with Joshua just after they had crossed over the Jordan River. You can read about that in Joshua chapter 4. Now, there was a new generation of men at that place called Gilgal, who submitted themselves to circumcision. And they became covenant bearers of God. And so Elijah was reminding Elisha when they stopped there, that if you're going to be successful, if you're going to be uh, useful in the kingdom of God, you have to totally submit yourself, totally surrender yourself to the Lord. And then they went to Bethel. That was the next stop on this final tour And Bethel in the Old Testament is always a place of prayer and worship. You'll remember that in the book of Genesis, we're told that Bethel means house of God. It's the place where Abraham built an altar in Genesis 12 and worshipped the Lord. It's also the place years after that where Jacob came and he had that great dream and that vision of the ladder descending from heaven and the angels going up and down. That's in Genesis chapter 28. And perhaps Elijah reminded his protege in that moment that if you're going to be an effective man of God, an effective prophet, then it's going to be determined by your time alone spent in prayer and in worship with the living God. And then we read that they went to Jericho. That was next. And you all know why Jericho was significant. That was the place where Joshua and his men secured one of the greatest military victories in all of history. As they marched around the city, God caused those walls to crumble like a sandcastle. And all they did was obey the Word of the Lord. And so, I think the lesson that he gave his protege here was, if you are going to be obedient to the Word of God, then you will experience the power of God. Just as Joshua and company obeyed God and saw the victory Elijah was telling Elisha, look, your great blessing and your great anointing and your great power is going to come from you being obedient to the Lord. Then we see finally here in verse 7 that they come to the Jordan River. Read with me and notice what the text says. In verse 6, Elijah said to him, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as yourself live, I will not leave you so the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood some distance from them, and they both were standing by the Jordan. And then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and the two of them could go over on dry ground. So the duo arrives here at the Jordan River. And we know what the Jordan River represents. Symbolically in the Scripture, it's always a picture of a new beginning. I know some people talk about the Jordan River being a symbol of death. It's never a symbol of death in the Bible. It's always a picture of a new beginning because that was the place where Joshua and the children of Israel crossed over into the new promise, into the inheritance, into Canaan land that God had given them to start their new life. And so the fact that this same miracle is repeated now is showing that it's a new beginning now in Elisha's life. One ministry is coming to a close and another one is beginning. And so you notice here that up to the very end, Elijah is pouring his life into his protege, into his student. And at each landmark they visited, Elijah is teaching him about how to stay faithful to God and how to assume the calling that God has placed on his life you see the way that we build a spiritual legacy friend is by investing in the people of God You don't build a spiritual legacy just coming to church. You don't build a legacy just listening to sermons. You don't build a spiritual legacy just reading your Bible and praying. Although all of those things are good, if you want to build a spiritual legacy, you've got to grab somebody and say, walk with me down the road of life. I've got some things I want to teach you. And we can grow from each other and invest and pour into somebody else's life so that when you're gone, there's something left behind behind in that other person's life something of you that you leave behind in your children your grandchildren your students your flock whatever the case may be so like elijah if we're wanting to build a spiritual legacy we have to be investing in the next generation i don't understand why it's so hard to get people to volunteer to work with kids and youth Why is that the hardest thing to get people to do in the church? Nobody wants to work with kids and youth. Oh, we'll just hire us a youth pastor and let him deal with it. Friend, that's the greatest opportunity you've got to shape and mold somebody and pour your life into theirs. Some of you who've been living a lot longer than I have, you've got wisdom. You've got lessons. You are a value and a treasure. And you ought to be pouring that into the lives of somebody younger than you. And so... Here it is, friend. One day, like Elijah, we're going to come to our final walk here on earth. And the question is, the question you need to ask yourself right now is, what kind of legacy am I leaving behind? John Maxwell says it like this. He says, on the day of your funeral, people are going to summarize your life in one sentence. Pick it now. You think about that? What you want the preacher to say about you, what you want your epitaph to be, what you want your legacy to be, you're writing it right now. By the choices you make. By the decisions that you make. So pick it now. Pick what you want your legacy to be. We are writing the legacy today that we're going to leave behind tomorrow. And one of the best gifts that we can leave behind, friend, is people that we have poured into. Lives that we have loved folks that we have discipled and shaped and molded so that they can take the mantle and carry forward the ministry of God. You've heard me talk a lot about Charles Spurgeon. He's called the Prince of Preachers. In the 18th century, he was the Billy Graham of that time. He's the most widely read preacher probably still to this day. The ripple effect of his ministry is is hard to calculate. But Spurgeon wrote in his diaries that the person who had the greatest spiritual impact on him, surprisingly, was not another preacher, was not a theologian, was not a missionary. He said, the person that had the greatest spiritual impact on my life was a cook. Her name was Mary King. She was the cook at the New Market Academy in Cambridge, England, where a teenage Spurgeon went in 1849 to study at that school. And for two years, he said that he learned from the cook, Miss King, far more than food. This is what he wrote about her in his book. He said, I do believe that I learned more from her than I should have learned from any six doctors of divinity. From her, he said, I got all the theology I ever needed. The Prince of Preachers never forgot what Miss King did for him. See, not only did she feed him, but as she fed him, she taught him lessons. She talked to him about the Lord. She prayed for him. You see, later on in her life, when she landed on financial straits, Charles Spurgeon never forgot about the difference that she made in in his life. And he regularly wrote checks to support her and to cover her bills. Now I read that story this week and I thought about it. What if Miss King had not known her Bible? She would have had nothing to share. What if Miss King had just sighed and said, I'm just a simple cook. I don't have anything to offer. But she gave and she taught. You see, and the thing that she didn't realize, she didn't understand at that moment that she was investing in, In the most powerful preacher of that generation who would be raised up and then one day touch thousands and touch maybe even millions down through the centuries. And friend, what I'm telling you, if I can send one message home to your heart today, is if you want a spiritual legacy, you've got to pour your life into somebody else. You don't know who that is, that little child that sits in your Sunday school class. You don't know what that young person is that comes that you serve each and every week food. You don't know who they might be or what God might do in their life, but you can pour into them and you can play a part in raising up the next generation to take on the mantle of faith. Listen to me. The reason that I'm standing before you today, the reason why I'm a preacher today is because I had men and women who came along in my life and poured into me. I had the best mentor, the best teacher that a young man could ever have. I had my daddy. My daddy taught me how to work. My daddy taught me how to pray. My daddy taught me how to lead with love. Over the course of my years, I had men who would pray for me. I had an 8th grade teacher, an 8th grade teacher who said, Derek, you're a leader. She saw potential in me when I was in 8th grade, and I didn't see potential in myself. And she said, why don't you write a speech and, and, and try out to be the class president? She didn't know that I would be writing a speech every week one day called a sermon to feed God's people. But God used that little teacher to touch my heart and spark something within me and say, you can be more. You can do more. I've had men of God come along in my life. Brother Clifford over here has been a friend to me down through the years. He helped me in Bible college. Well, I didn't even have a suit of clothes to wear. He said, let's go shopping, Derek. I want to make sure you look good when you stand up there and you preach. I had mentor pastors come along who invested in me along the way. And friends, sometimes when I stand in the pulpit, I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, of men and women who come before me. And when I speak, their words come out. You see, the reason why you're here today, if you're saved and born again, is because somebody touched your life. Somebody touched your life for Jesus. Now here's the question. Who are you investing in? Who do you have that's walking along with you through life? And you say, I went down that road before. Let me tell you what to avoid. Or, hey, I see you have this need in your life. Let me bless you and let let me help you. Hey, we're having a barbecue tonight over at my house. Why don't you come and enjoy the fellowship? Little things like that that you do to invite people into your life. We're so disconnected in our world today. Yes, we've got Facebook, social media, but really it drives us apart. And we as God's people need to pick one another up and walk through this journey of life together, investing one in another. Because friend, what are you passing on before you pass away? What are you leaving behind? You're going to leave it behind depositing it in the hearts of somebody. But if you want that spiritual legacy, invest in the people of God as Elijah did with Elijah. Secondly, spiritual legacy is cultivated by igniting passion for God. It's cultivated by igniting passion for God. Look at what happens in verse 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what shall I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha said, please... Oh, I love this. Let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. And yet if you see me as I have been taken up from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it will not be so. Elisha had come a long way from being that simple farm boy. Here he was now in the presence of this great man of God. Israel's greatest prophet up to that time now most people standing in that position would have been content just to walk on home and say wow i can put that on my resume i got to spend a semester with the greatest prophet that ever walked the earth i got to shadow elijah and they could have checked that box off i was in the elijah internship but notice here elijah isn't content with living off the spiritual capital of the past He wants something greater for his life. And before exiting, you notice this conversation. Elijah basically gives his pupil a blank check. And this young man, Elisha, is audacious enough to ask, as you read there in verse 9, he says, what do you want? And he says, please let there be a double portion of your spirit upon me. In other words, it's an Old Testament way of saying, I want your office I want the power, I want the responsibility that goes along with it, and then some. He says to Elijah, I want my life and I want my ministry to be twice what yours was. Now how audacious an ask is that? This is talking to a man who raised the dead, who called down fire from heaven, who pronounced a drought over the whole land of Israel for three and a half years. That's a big ask, friend. But you see, Elisha had spent time shadowing Elijah and as he shadowed him, you know what it did? It lit a fire in his belly that wouldn't go away. It ignited a passion to serve God and now as he stood there at the end of his mentor's teaching time and prophetic time, he said, there's no going back for me. I can't just go back to a regular life. I can't just go home and pick up the plow and be a farm boy. You've changed me. There's something about my life that's different now and I've got to leave here with what God gave you or else my life won't have a meaning or a purpose. You see, he stepped away from that moment and he said, if I go pursue something else, I'll be wasting my life on a lesser thing. Does that resonate with you? You ever have a thought like that? Man, when I was a young preacher, I'd go to revivals. I'd get on YouTube and i watch these powerful preachers. Man, I could, I could name the books and the sermons that they wrote. And I'd sit there in awe and I'd listen to these men of God preach. And I'd say, God, I want to preach like that one day. God, give me that, that, that same passion, that same desire. I want to stand before some people and preach the way that that guy does. You ever been in the presence of somebody who really knew how to get a hold of God in a time of prayer? I grew up in a house where my daddy prayed out loud. Probably the greatest lessons I ever learned about prayer, listening to my daddy. You ever listen to somebody who really knows how to pray, really knows how to get intimate with God, and you step away from that and you say, God, I want to learn how to pray like that. I want a touch of that Spirit on on me. You ever see somebody with a gift or a talent? It touches you and you say, Man, I wonder if they would teach me how to do that. That's a great ministry. And somebody's got to pick that up and do that when their time's done. Friend, that's what I'm talking about. Spiritual legacy comes, it's birthed in that moment when you have that spark of passion ignited within your soul to say, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want a double portion. God, help me to be that man or that woman. That spark of inspiration. That desire, that knowledge to know that what God has done in somebody else's life, He can do it in your life too. God's not done. His work's not dead. He's still calling men and women into the ministry. He still needs servants. Friend, why not you? Why can't He use you? The only reason He couldn't use you is if you said no to Him. But God gave a double portion of what Elijah had to Elisha. See, what you've got to start believing is that God can and will and God wants to do in your life greater than what He has done in a previous generation. God can and God will and God wants to, but the question is, do we want it? Do we want the double portion? Some of us don't want it. We're doing good just to get to church on time. But friend... For those who want it, for those who are hungry and thirsty, for those who want to see God shake this world, they can have it. They can have the double portion. The question is, do you want it? you got to be hungry for it. You see, every generation needs an Elisha. Every generation, every church needs an Elisha. Men and women who will stand up and say, the older crowd's leaving. The older crowd's going the way of the flesh. And we need an Elisha, men and women to step up and stand in the gap and say, I'll be that man of God. I'll be that woman of God. I'll teach that class. I'll preach that message. I'll serve that food. I'll clean that toilet. I'll take those children. I'll drive that bus. Whatever the ministry is, we need Elisha standing up and saying, I'll be that person. God, give me the mantle. D.L. Moody, great example of this. You know who D.L. Moody was? He was uneducated. He didn't even finish high school. He was unordained. There was no ordination board that would touch him with a 40-foot pole. He was a shoe salesman, for goodness sake. He felt like God was calling him to preach the gospel story goes, he says that in 1874, he went to a revival. The revival was taking place in a barn. (laughs) He went and sat in the hayloft of a barn and listened to a revival preacher by the name of Henry Varley preach. And he said, he sat there in the hayloft and he heard the preacher say something that stung in his spirit for a long time. You know what that preacher said? The preacher said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man who is fully and only consecrated to Him. And D.L. Moody was gullible enough to believe it. And he took that statement and he wrote it in his journal. And he said, God, if I could be that man, let me be that man. And look at the hill he had to climb. No education, no background, no riches, Nobody to really help him along the way. Yet he made that his his life statement. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. You know what happened to Moody? He went on. He shook two continents for God. America and England, untold thousands, untold number of souls came to know Jesus Christ through him. There's a church, Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois. There's a a Bible college named after this simple man who just hungered and (laughs) thirsted for the things of God and said, God, give me that double portion of the Spirit. Friends, don't sell yourself short for anything less than pursuing the things of God, the purpose that He has for your life. You see, we need to start believing that God can do in our lives, in our marriages, in our churches, and yes, even in our nation, what He did for great men and women of God in the past. Do you think God is dead? Do you think God is done? I don't, friend. I refuse to believe it. There are many times I get on my knees and I pray and I say, God, if you did it for Jonathan Edwards... God, if you did it for Moody, if you did it for Spurgeon, if you did it for Billy Graham, Lord, do it in this time, in this place, for this generation. We need a great pouring out of the Spirit of God today like never before. Lord, if you did it for them and they were just men of clay, God, I know you can do it in our time. You can do it with me, Lord, if you choose me for that purpose. Lord, I say, Lord, don't let me die without seeing a revival, a heaven-sent earth shattering move of God the likes of which our country our nation our community has never seen before God send it so you got to start believing and thirsting and hungering and say Lord the same passion that the old generation had those who came before us, the same resolve that they had Lord give it to us again and then some that double portion thirdly and I finish with this spiritual legacy spiritual legacy is created with when we invest in the people of God spiritual legacy is cultivated when we ignite a passion for God and thirdly look at this, the spiritual legacy is continually ensured by the power of God ensured by the power of God this is so awesome look at this don't tune out yet This is the best part of the story. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Wouldn't you have liked to have seen that? And Elijah saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, and the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Notice this. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. That's a sign of contrition, a sign of sorrow. His, his friend, his mentor just left. Verse 13. He took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Picture this. He's got the cloak of the prophet in his hand and he's standing there at the banks of the river. How's he going to get across, church? Then he took the cloaks of Elijah that had fallen and struck the water with it, saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water was parted on one side to the other, and Elijah went over The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, and they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Do you see what just happened in the Scriptures? Elisha has been walking with Elijah faithfully. And Elijah has walked his pupil into a dead end. Into a cul-de-sac. He walked him across the Jordan River. As the water part of the two went across, the chariots came down and took Elijah. Now Elisha is standing there all by himself. He's looking at the banks of the river, and he needs to get across to the other side. But Elijah is gone. He left him. And yet, in that moment, Elijah is teaching his pupil the final lesson. Here's the test, brother. Don't fail it. As he stands there on the banks of the river, what happened in that moment is that Elisha is forced to trust God in that moment the same way that his teacher Elijah trusted God in that moment for a miracle. The training wheels was off and it was time now for Elisha to be his own man. And as he stepped out on faith, notice what's happening there. The same God who parted the Red Sea for Moses The same God who parted the Jordan and allowed Joshua and his cohorts to walk over into the promised land. The same God who moments earlier had parted the water for Elijah is now the same God resting over this man's life and broke the water open so that he could walk over and now begin the new ministry, the new work that God had for him. You see the lesson? The lesson is this. A spiritual legacy is continually ensured by the power of God. The power of God is not diminished from one generation to another. He's still the same God. He's still got the same miracle working power. The Lord always has a remnant. The Holy Spirit still indwells people, still empowers people, still calls men and women. God's promises can't fail. His plans remain unchanged. His power is not diminished. And so, friend, what I'm telling you is if you're unsure of yourself and saying, I don't know how to build a spiritual legacy. I don't know how to do this. Friend, I'm telling you, the same God that walked with Elijah is the same God who walked with Elisha and He's the same God that will walk with you. The power is not diminished. The work of God continues because the power of God never ebbs and flows. So you can go forward in faith knowing that this God is for you. Let me leave you with one example. This is how God is faithful. To raise up one generation to another. William Tyndale. Probably one of the greatest scholars. William Tyndale had a calling from God. He lived in the 1500s. He lived under the rule of King Henry VIII. But he felt like God had given him a mission. See, the English people didn't have the Bible in their language. So he set it upon himself that he was going to undertake the daunting task of translating the Bible into the English language. You see, before that, it was just in Latin, the Latin Vulgate. And so he said, our people need to have the Word of God in their own language. Everybody was against him. You know the the king was against him. The clergy, the Catholic church, they were against him. In fact, he once told the priest, he said, if God spares my life and I get to do what God's called me to do, I'm going to cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the Word of God than you do. (laughs) How bold was that? So he started translating the Bible. And he didn't get done. He only finished the New Testament, the Pentateuch, and a few other historical books. The work was left undone. He was arrested. He was burned at the stake in 1536. As those flames rose up and licked his body, the last words that he breathed was God opened the eyes of the king. He never saw his dream realized. He never saw the people of England with a Bible in their own language that they could understand. But little did he know That God had already raised up another man who was going to finish his work. In fact it was raised up in a man named Miles Coverdale. He's pictured there. Miles Coverdale didn't live in England. He lived in another place. He lived in Switzerland. And William Tyndale's great prayer as he finished his life is Lord who's going to finish the work? But God had already raised up this man, Miles Coverdale. So he took what Tyndale had left, and he finished translating the Bible. A work which took him many, many years, but he finally finished it. You see what happened here? God started the work with one man. He didn't get to see his dream realized. But before the man died, he had already raised up another guy to take the work which Tyndale has started and to finish it. And friend, the reason why you have a Bible today in the English language, the reason why you have the privilege to read this Word of God is because these two men totally committed their lives to this one thing and said, I'll be passionate. I'll finish the work. I'll start the work. And as I read that, you know what? It it uncovered an interesting dynamic for me. You may look at your life and say, "Lord, I didn't get to complete the work that I wanted to do." But you know what? Your life may be plowing up hard ground so that somebody can come up behind you and plant, and water, and harvest. See, so you don't know where you in you are in in that process that God has called you, but you have to be faithful. You may not see the work completed. But God is always faithful to raise up somebody. I pray, Lord, Lord, if you give me a long tenure here at Liberty Baptist Church, if I don't accomplish the work that you've given me here to do, Lord, at least let me till up some hard ground so that somebody can come up behind me and sow and reap a harvest. Help me to be faithful in that which you've called me to do. Because, Lord, your work is never done. Here's the great promise that we have. At the end of the Great Commission, what did Jesus say? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The same God who walked with Elijah, the same God who walked with Elisha, is the same God who walks with you and me. Don't tell me you can't create a spiritual legacy. Because if God did it for them, and He says, I'm with you always, He can do it for us. Whatever the work is called to do, We may not see it finished. We may not see it completed. Oh, but we can get a lot of progress done so that somebody can come up behind us and reap the blessing. But you know what? You can't do that if you don't know the Lord today. You can't have a spiritual legacy if you're not born again. You can't leave a spiritual legacy if you're just giving God Sunday morning. Can't do it. Yeah, you may... Leave a, a decent testimony, but you can't have that impact that you could really have if you went all in. Said, Lord, I'm believing you for a double portion. Do you know Jesus Christ today? Are you really leaving a spiritual legacy? If you're not, our musicians are coming now. You can get serious. Some of you aren't serious today, and I understand that, but some of you are. Some of you hear this message and it has hit you like a sledgehammer and you know that you've got to up the game in your life. This is your opportunity to do it. You may not have another opportunity to make a decision to do that for the Lord today.